Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's start there. If you agree with what was just sung, and you believe it to be true, and you're willing to live it out, I don't need to preach. However, I'm going to anyway, because sometimes we forget to stand on the promises of God. Or sometimes, even if we wouldn't dare say it out loud, we don't think God can handle blank. You'll notice today that you do not have any sort of fill-in-the-blank worksheet. You don't have any cliff notes for you to help follow along, and there's a reason for that. I don't want to make a single point today that you can't go straight back to Scripture and find. The reason is, the topic we're going to deal with, every single person in this room, myself included, wrestles with. I feel like a hypocrite being up here right now because I wrestle with it so much. And that's a great place to be. Uh, Because if we can admit that we wrestle and we struggle, we can grow together and we can spur one another on in our journey. And that's what we're called to do. I want you to do something in your mind or on a piece of paper. By the way, I want you to take notes and note the references. We're going to cover a lot of scripture, so you do need two things, or a photographic memory, whichever. Uh, Also, the sermon will be on a podcast. You're going to need your Bible in digital or paper form is great, or both. And I would highly recommend you taking notes. Uh, Note the scriptures. Uh, The best way to do this, and the reason I am a proponent of using a physical Bible from time to time, is underline, as my old professor used to say, underline the snot out of the texts that jump out to you this morning. Mark up those Bibles. Come back to them. Because we are going to talk about how do we deal with the hard things of life over the next two months. Many of you face this word called stress. Many of you are facing it literally right now. Some of you do not look at them, might be sitting next to the cause of your stress. Don't look at them. We understand that sometimes we as brothers and sisters in Christ cause each other's stress. Some of you are facing difficulties that bring on much anxiety and you haven't known how to deal with it. Well, that's what we're going to look at over the course of this morning. Over the course of the next two months, we're also going to consider how do we fight temptation? None of you have ever been tempted, right? We don't face making the right decision when everything around us says make the wrong one. How do we deal with conflict? How do we deal with the injustice that comes when someone treats us poorly and it's not fair? How do we deal with the very real situation of suffering when it's us? or when it's a loved one around us, and we don't know what to say other than, God, this stinks. Why would you let us go through this? How do we handle that? How do we handle loss? I I realized something as we were um, preparing for community group over the past couple weeks, that our community group in the past two or three years has faced the loss of, I believe, five loved ones, one member of our group and then four that were very closely connected with our group, either as family members or friends. How do we help our communities walk through loss? We're not trying to just get by it. 
we're trying to walk through that and grieve in a manner that's pleasing to God and helpful to those that deal with loss. What about broken relationships? What about reconciliation? All of these difficult things we want to cover. But I want to start today with stress. Why? Because we're all stressed. You know, you live in the city that demands the highest workload of any city in the world, according to statistics. Congratulations. Well done. You could have chosen to live anywhere else and you chose here. So did we. Or we can say we trust that the Lord put us here and he has us here for a reason for for such a time as this. Not only that, but we live in a time in Hong Kong where the pressures are growing. If you remember not so long ago in January, we had a string of five suicides over the course of just a few days. It is a real thing. And those were all students from undergrad all the way down to, uh, to middle school. Think about that. We have students killing themselves because they didn't know how to deal with the pressure of anxiety. We have adults drinking themselves into addiction. We have adults seeking out every form of pleasure and escape, trying to escape the pressures and anxiety and stress they face because they don't know the answer to dealing with the situations around them. And some of us are in that same boat. We have Christians that don't understand, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to pay the bills that my family expects me to pay? How am I going to deal with a husband or a wife that doesn't understand or friends or a boss or an employee that just doesn't get it? Or, you know, you fill in the blank. And then you get to the point where you begin to question your very identity and you fill in this blank. You say, I am not blank enough. And in your minds, each one of you can probably fill in the blank with something, with some lie you have believed about how you are not good enough, smart enough, successful enough, pretty enough, fashionable enough, rich enough, confident enough, influential enough, strong enough, The list can go on and on and on. And we begin to believe all these things about ourselves. And all it does is it rips us up inwardly. You want proof of that? Look at my stomach lining. (laughs) All the doctors in the room have laughed because they've seen it. It doesn't exist. I deal with things right here. And that's not healthy. So as I walk us through the scriptures, I want you to know that I am learning this with you and that we will grow together, but that we will stand on the promises of God and we will trust that in all these things for this we have Jesus and he never gives us more than we can handle and all things are possible through him who gives us strength. You trust me in that? Don't trust me, trust him. He said it, not me. I'm not asking you to trust me with anything this morning but opening your Bibles. Everything else we'll leave to him, so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the week you've given me of seeing your word come to life. And in all of the situations we face, dear God, help us to trust in you. Help us to find refuge in you alone. And help us to walk together in this journey. In your name I pray, amen. Well, American psychologists, and really psychologists globally, tend to say there are three primary causes of anxiety and stress. See if you can relate to any of these. The first one uh, would be what we call rush sickness. 
I think Hong Kong has that one really well figured out. You know what rush sickness is? I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. Go ahead and try to stand on an escalator for a second, will you? Don't you dare. We're in a hurry. We need to get up that thing. And you are blocking our way. Rush sickness is the idea that we need to figure out how to squeeze 36 hours of activity into a 24-hour day, and we still require sleep, which I believe is a waste of time. But God has made us that way, so I trust him with that. We get this sickness that we have to rush and get everything done. So that's one cause of anxiety, is it not? Yeah. The second one is what they call straining, okay? Straining makes a lot of sense if you think about it in terms of what certain types of birds do. They reach up, they strain their necks to get higher, right? What does humanity do? We always are straining to gain the approval or the promotion of those around us. And if we don't, it causes deep anxiety. We want others to approve of what we're doing. We want to be recognized for our work. One of the biggest mistakes you can make in a job interview, according to HR statistics, is to tell your HR interviewer that you want to be recognized for all the work you've already done. They'll look at you and say, well, tell me what you're doing today. But we want recognition. We want approval. We want promotion, don't we? Now, are any of those things bad in and of themselves? No. We should encourage each other. If someone's doing a good job and you're an employer, promote them if they're qualified for the position you've got for them. You know, do things to build people up. But that is not our identity. Our identity isn't wrapped up in our occupation, in our title, uh, in the letters after our name, in the letters before our name, in how people think of us. Our identity is wrapped up in the blood of Jesus Christ, who he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the very righteousness of God. Your identity is a righteous son and daughter of the Most High God. We don't have to strain for approval of others because we have approval of God the Father who is in heaven. But we do anyway. Finally, oh, this one's so good for Hong Kong, mobility movement. How many of you have had to move home, move flat in the past 12 months? There's more of you than that, but a few of you have raised your hands. And I've, I'm going to pick on them because I remember what an ordeal it was. Larry and Georgina, was that an easy process? <laughs> they don't even want to talk about it. Moving home, being uprooted, shifting, even if it's next door, is a monumental stressor, is it not? Then you add the life of the Hong Kong lease. Will they raise my lease this year? Will the rent go up? Will I be able to stay where I live? Will my employer want me to come back or will I need to find a new job? Will I... You get where I'm going with this? It causes great stress. What if I have to move back to and fill in the blank with your country of origin? with your home of origin. We get stressed by these things, do we not? Oh, and there's one more. Family and friendship stress. They call those relational stressors. But none of us ever deal with that, right? People around us that we walk closely with cause stress. Yeah, that one's pretty obvious. Okay, you've got the basic list. 
How do we deal with them? What I want to do is over the next 25 minutes or so, I want us to go through, and I'm going to try to move quickly. So if I'm going too fast, raise your hand and say, slow down, Mike. Or if you don't want to, ask Lala to. She will. I trust her to do that for me. Um, And so what I want to do is I want us to look at the scriptures at first of who God is. And I want us to do it in a couple of ways by looking at the Psalms. You want to learn how to deal with hard things? Always start with the Psalms because they're honest, they're brutal, and they're truthful, and they're worshipful. And we can learn so much. So we start with understanding what anxiety and worry and stress are, okay? Just in case you don't know what these things are that I'm talking about. And if you don't, well done. Go ahead and take a nap. Anxiety or being anxious is experiencing worry, nervousness, or unease. Some of you may be doing that right now for any number of reasons. Stress, a state of mental, emotional, or other strain. Now, as we go through this, I want you to think about how do you carry your stress? We all carry it in different ways. For instance, mine is carried in two spots. One you all know about because some of you visited me in the hospital and know that I have stomach issues. So it starts there. And then I also do it right in the back of my shoulders. And then I get these headaches. I always know when I'm carrying my own burdens because it goes right there. And no matter how many times I ask our staff like Doug, he doesn't want to give me a massage. And I don't understand that. But I carry my stress there. What about you? Where do you carry your stress? Sometimes it's internal. Sometimes it's in the sinuses. It can be just in our temperament. It can be in all sorts of ways. But we do hang on to that stress. And it strains us. So then let's look at a couple of key verses as we begin to say, well, how biblically can we deal with stress? When anxiety was great within me, Your consolation brought me joy. When the stress was so great to bear, God, your consolation, your reassurance didn't just bring me a pacifier. It wasn't like sticking a passy in the mouth of a baby and getting it to shut up. I know that sounds harsh, but that's what we do. We try to get the baby to stop crying by putting something into its mouth, right? And sometimes that's what we want God to do. We want him to calm us down. But that's not what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, your consolation, your reassurance, it brought me joy in the midst of my anxiety. Whoa. Are you facing your stress and anxiety with joy right now? If not, go spend some time with Psalm 94 and consider in your heart how you handle it. But let's move on, okay? And by the way, you don't have to take pictures of these slides. What I'll do is I'll turn these slides into a PDF and you can download them with this week's podcast, okay? That way you don't have to try to keep up with me if I go too fast. That easier? Good, great, good. Psalm 46.1, we read it this morning. God is, what? He is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. When is he present? Ever. Okay, we don't talk like that anymore. When is he present? Always. God is always our refuge and strength. 
Now, I want to talk about this word refuge for a minute because I don't think we understand it today because for the most part, if you're in this room, you probably have a place to live. I'm making that assumption. Um, There are many that face homelessness, and that's a tragic thing. But refuge is more than just having a home. It's having a place of safety. I believe it was February of 2000 uh, when... um, I was in Bible college at Toccoa Falls College in northeastern Georgia in America. And we got something that was very rare. We got a snowstorm. And you never got a snowstorm in northeastern Georgia. Where I grew up, we got snow all the time, hundreds of inches. And it was awesome, but not in Georgia. So two of my friends and I, one is now a sheriff and one is a pastor as well, uh, decided that the best thing to do in a snowstorm would be to go for a hike. That would be genius. And not just a normal hike, but to drive through the Appalachian Mountains to a place called Blood Mountain, which uh, was a great place to hike. A beautiful spot. It had been one uh, my best friend and I had gone a couple of times before. We loved it. And we thought this would be the perfect way to see the Appalachians with snow on them. Now... If you are a scientist or even have a brain at all, you understand that when you live in a temperate climate, snow will not last. It will begin to melt and freeze at night and then stick to evergreen trees. We don't know much what an evergreen tree is here, but it's like a Christmas tree. So it's got these long needles with which heavy things like snow would stick to. Okay? Now, we decided that the best thing to do is hike. So we, we parked after fighting our way to get up the mountain in our cars, which did not go well. We made it. And we thought, nobody's going to be on this mountain, so there's no point in taking a tent. We'll stay at the shelter on top. Let me restate that. We said there would be no reason to take a tent. We would find plenty of room in the shelter on top. Up we go. It begins to get dark. The snow is going. We're just having a great time. And we get to the top of the mountain to find 38 scouts stuck on top of the mountain. And they have completely filled the shelter. And they didn't want to squeeze in three grown men for some strange reason. They said, we were here. And and the rules of the Appalachian Trail are whoever's there first, they get it. If you're not, you got to keep moving on. We had no idea what to do. The weather was continuing to worsen. We didn't know where to go. The scoutmasters were of absolutely no help. We needed refuge. We needed sleep. And we were stuck. So we decided to keep going. And we decided, worst case, there's another shelter 10 miles away, which at the rate we were going would take us all night and we wouldn't get where we wanted to go. So about two hours later we came as we were sliding down the ice-packed path because, you know, we weren't wearing the proper uh, equipment, we found a little rock outcropping. And it was just kind of like almost a little cave. And we found that and we looked around and we're like, this is as good as any. And so there exists now a picture somewhere of three grown men huddling together under one tiny little burning stove like the ones you take camping now trying to stay warm, finding refuge under a rock. We didn't get a lot of sleep that night, but at least we stayed dry, finding refuge under our rock. 
Now, I could take you back to Blood Mountain and show you exactly where that rock is. I will never forget it. Don't ask me about the next day because, unfortunately, the rock uh, led to freezing ice, which fell on my head, knocked me out, gave me a concussion, and I have no memory of the next day. That's a different story for a different time, and I'm very famous at a hospital for being stupid. But in that moment, what a biblical parable. We found refuge under a rock that God provided in our time of need. When you deal with stress, we've got to seek him first, finding refuge first in him, not in each other, not in ourselves. Look at what David did. God is my refuge and strength. When anxiety was great, your consolation brought me joy. Where do the psalmists go first? The Lord. So let's move on. Let's move on to Psalm 18. If you're following along in your Bible readings with us in the McShane, hopefully you camped out in this psalm because it's so rich and it's so powerful. And we don't have time to go through it all. But what I want you to do is starting with verses 1 through 3, I want you to look at all we learn about who God is. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Okay, God gives us strength. You certainly need that to get through anxiety and stress. Next, the Lord is my Rock. I had to learn that the hard way by leaving a tent in a Jeep. But man, he is our rock. My fortress, our protection, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, so apparently that one's important. In whom I take refuge. Get that mental picture in your head. Taking picture or taking refuge in the rock of our God and King. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And who do we call to? I called to the Lord who is worthy of my praise and have been saved from my enemies. All of these things, who are we dependent upon? God, our rock, our shield, our refuge, our strength, our fortress. What does the, our deliverer, thank you. What does this teach us about God? Who is he? He is, the song we sing, he is mighty to save. There is nothing he cannot handle. You will face things you can't handle on your own. You will look at an exam, you will look at a boss, you will look at an employee, and you just, you can't. You've just had enough. In those times, can we go back to our Lord, our strength? Can we go back? to our refuge and our deliverer? Can we go back to the horn of our salvation and our shield and protector? Or do we try to fight it on our own? The psalmist doesn't stop there. Oh, by the way, David wrote this psalm when Saul was trying to kill him. Imagine the king of Israel... Let me read it exactly. For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang this to the Lord, the words of this song, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Saul was the king. Imagine if all of the resources of one nation are out to kill you. Are you saying these things? When somebody's out to have me dead... I'm going to be stressed. I get stressed when I think somebody doesn't like me. Let alone somebody's throwing spears at me and trying to kill me. But David is singing. Lord, you are my strength, my deliverer, my shield, my fortress, my strong tower. But he doesn't stop. In verse 6, 
he admits, and, and the verses before that, he continues to admit, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit. He lifted me out of the slime and the destruction. What does this tell us? This tells us that our God is different from every other false God that is worshiped today. Because only our God inclines and leans down and gets himself into the mess of humanity and said, I will bring you out of it. You don't have to pull yourself out to get to me. I will step into the mess on your behalf. I hear you and I am with you. Do we believe that? Whatever the mess is you're facing right now, do you believe that God not only hears you, but he would send his son to save you from this very mess? And that he would send his Holy Spirit to walk with you through the pain and the struggle and the trial right this very minute and say, you're not alone. I got you. David was about to be murdered, he thought. And when he was delivered, All he could do was sing praise to the Lord and say, that stunk, but you saved me. He is our strong tower. He is our mighty fortress. He is the one in whom we trust. When we face things, do we look at the veracity, the truthfulness, the trustworthiness of our God? Do we start there? God, you are. When I put our kids to bed to sleep at night, I ask them, uh, and I don't always remember to do it, but I try to ask them to thank God for something about who he is. To remind them that we always have to remember who he is, not just what's going on around us. Because what do we know about God? He is the same when? Yesterday, today, and forever. That means, if we go back to the verse we just read, our strong tower, our rock, our refuge, our strength, all those things... They're still true. Amen? Well, let's keep going. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Oh, yeah, this thing called worry. Anybody worried? Yep, good. Me too. I've got three kids, and I'm an American. There's this thing called university. That stresses me out. Even right now, like I feel my blood pressure go up just thinking about it. And the fact that I want them to have a Christian education means 50,000 U.S. dollars a year, which seems just counterintuitive to wanting them to serve the Lord. But anyway, but, therefore I tell you, this is Jesus talking, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So let's break this down quickly. First, this is an issue of perspective. What are we choosing to focus on? Worry is ultimately about what we give our attention to, right? We worry about what we focus on. If I'm worried about my college kids, or my kids' education in college, that's what I'm focusing on right now. If you're worried about your job, if you're worried about your spouse, if you're worried about this relationship, if you're worried, that is what you're focused on. 
And does worry actually ever help? Jesus asked that question. So let's look at breaking it down. First, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's asking a basic worldview question. Do you understand the difference between what is urgent and what is important? He would also tell us later on that I will show you the most excellent way. And the most excellent way is Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Paul would teach us. So we have to understand that there is what's truly important and that which we tend to worry about, which is usually that which feels very urgent. Then Jesus continues, and he asks us to remember how valuable we are. Let's think about this in terms of what we call biblical theology, listing just a few of, what God, a few of the phrases that God teaches us about each member in this room. First, you are God's workmanship. Translated another way, you are God's masterpiece. Isn't that amazing? He meant to make you the way you are. We're also told that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He made you wonderful. He made you with great attention to detail, down to numbering the hairs on your head, down to the very height, weight, all of it. He knew what he was doing when he made you. And out of love, he carefully puts you together. He also promises that he won't give you more than you can handle. You are his creation. Those of you that have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a new creation. Your identity as a son or daughter of the Most High God is secure for all eternity. And you are made, finally, in the very image of God. You bear the very image of God when you walk around. Does he look like a red-headed ginger kid like me? No, that's not what that means but the very spirit of God, the very creation, the very longing for community of the great dance of the Trinity that is wired within us is part of how God made us on purpose because it's who he is. But we tend to forget that we're a masterpiece. We tend to believe the lies that we are not enough of whatever. And Jesus says, can any one of you add more value to your life by worrying? And we all know the answer is no, but we do it anyway, right? So how do we fight worry? How do we fight stress? How do we fight anxiety? Well, it seems to indicate here that Jesus is saying, why don't you give me a shot at handling it? Why don't you just, just, you know, just once, just give me a try. Why do I think that that's what he means? Well, because Jesus himself faced anxiety that you and I will never face. The last time I checked, I don't know of anyone in this room that has been so grief and anxiety and stress ridden that they sweat blood. Have you? I have not. Jesus, on his way to the cross, went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. We're going to come back to that in a couple weeks when we deal with temptation, okay? So don't think that I'm forgetting that phrase. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. I don't know who was throwing the stone, so it depends on how far you think he was away. So let's say the back of the room. Not far. And then he kneels down and he prays, Father, 
if you are willing. This is the Son of God, remember? He knows what's coming. Yet in his full humanity, he says, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not, your, not my will, but yours be done. Not even Jesus wanted to suffer. Not even Jesus wanted to go through what he was about to go through. He was willing to do it. In fact, Paul tells us he did it with joy. But in that very moment, he was struggling with anxiety, knowing that he was about to bear the sin of the entire world upon his back. And that was a moment of great anxiety. Mike, you're reading into the text. No, I'm not, because look at what says next. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, anxiety, stress, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knew anxiety at a level greater than any of us. And what did it drive him to do? Pray more. So let's see, what, what do we learn? First, there was a pattern of Jesus' life that we should all follow. What is that pattern? Prayer. He went out as usual to pray. Second, moving quickly along, he was submissive to the Father. He said, Lord, if you could take this from me, please do. And this wasn't a lighthearted request. This was a man knowing what he faced. Many of us know what we're facing, and it's okay to cry out to God, God, take this away from me, but I will do your will. That's the key. I will trust you, Lord. You know better than me. He trusted in the will of his father. And then what does he do? Even in anguish, he prays more. He seeks more fervently, more earnestly. He goes back to God. When we're stressed, where do we go? Some people seek to find escape through all sorts of means, through vices, through alcohol, through drugs, through addiction, through relationships, through all the wrong things. And Jesus, in his moment of greatest anguish, turns to the Father and says, help. And when the anguish, anguish got so much that he could barely bear it, he sought the Lord more. Do we? So we know that as we fight anxiety, it begins with a prayerful posture of dependence on God. So let's keep going. Let's see how do we apply that. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. We talked about this a few months ago. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... Oh, sorry, the translation has changed now, and I've got to stick with the times. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Man, we could spend a long time here, and, and I... I want to, but we're not going to. We're going to highlight a few, few things. When should we go to the Lord? In every situation. When do we go to the Lord? Usually as a last resort. When every other option has been exercised, God help! I need you. I'm stuck. Now would you help me? But in every situation, we go to him. Next, how do we go to him? With prayer and petition. Oh, but look at this. With 
thanksgiving. Kind of sounds like the psalmist that says, your consolation brought me joy. This stress can be something I thank you for, Lord. (laughs) I don't want to thank you for this stress because I don't like it. And I'm not asking you to like the stress that you're facing right now. I'm asking you to trust the Lord and the promises that he has given you and to rest in him in all situations. (laughs) We went on vacation a couple weeks ago. And I got a virus of some sort, as I always do when I go on vacation, because I finally slow down and then I get sick. And it was about that point where if I'm in Hong Kong and I'm that sick, we have to think about getting me to the hospital because I was severely dehydrated. And I looked at my wife and I was freaking out. And I wish I could say I was trusting in the Lord in that moment and I wasn't. I was fearful of what a Huahin hospital was going to look like because I thought that's what I was destined for. And then the power goes out, so there's no air con in our hotel room. And so I'm sitting there sweating with a fever, nauseous and all the things you don't need to know about. And I'm wondering, what on earth am I doing here? Why did you bring me to Thailand to put me in a hospital? And I remember thinking, and it was the Lord that did it, not me, because Melissa said, Mike, stop freaking out. And she was dead right. And I remember thinking, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And I'd love to say that uh, immediately and victoriously I felt all better and I was at peace with whatever was happening, baloney. I was still stressed. But I kept saying it over and over, saying, Lord, I'm going to learn to trust you in this situation. My wife, however, did the even better thing and got people praying. And within 12 hours of that moment that she got people praying, I was completely better and able to enjoy the rest of the holiday. God has a plan. And he can be trusted. My ways of taking all the medicine didn't work at all. Because, well, And I'm not saying don't take medicine. Do take it. But I sought the wrong things first. Instead of going first to the Lord and saying, God, this is yours. I'll trust you. You'll get me through this. And look at what he says. But I do. I do look back and I thank God for that situation. Man, did I learn a lot in that 24 hours. And I'm thankful for it. I'm not thankful my family got stuck hiding outside of our room because they didn't want to get anywhere near my germs. But I'm thankful for what he was gracious enough to teach me through that and that I can present everything to him and I won't make the same mistake again, I hope. And out of that was the reminder that the peace of God, which transcends, which is mind-blowingly bigger than our ability to understand, his peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Where do we find our identity? In Christ Jesus. So when you face stress, I want to teach you what Charles Price at Keswick in, I believe, 2008 or 2009 taught a whole bunch of us during one of his morning sessions. And you'll see it on my screensaver. You'll hear us as a staff talk about it all the time. And starting next week, you're going to see it up here. For this, we have Jesus. In every situation, Jesus is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. There is nothing he can't handle and there is everything I can't handle. So let's keep going because we're not done yet. We depend first on the Lord. We go to him in prayer. We ascribe to him all the abilities that he tells us he has and we trust him. But then we do something else. We carry each other's burdens. Do we do this first? No. Always seek the Lord and his word first. But then as a process, 
walk through the stress and the journey together. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Which law, Mike? Jesus had a lot to say. Well, he also told us to love one another. By this, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pretty simple, isn't it? But interestingly, Galatians 6 uh, gets a little confusing because four verses later, he says, each one should carry his own load. But you just said, bear each other's burdens. Yep. But don't ask everybody to carry the load God's given you. There's a difference. Bear each other's burdens. Walk with people through grief, through stress, through anxiety. But don't expect other people to do the work that God has laid before you to do. Do you understand the difference? Don't think that just because the going gets tough, somebody else will carry you and you won't have to do anything. Paul is very careful to make sure that we, the church, know that we walk through things together, but we should all be using our gifts and our abilities to do the work he has called us to do. Isn't that a great thing? Because one of the worst things, especially for high achievers like here in Hong Kong, is when we sit back and try to do nothing. We don't know how to do nothing. It's against our very nature. And we're not supposed to. We walk with each other and we bear each other's burdens. Are you wrestling with whether you'll have a job next week? Share it with people that can walk with you and support you. They may not be able to give you a new job, but they can pray with you. They can hug you if that's your thing. They can encourage you if that's what you need. And they can just be with you. But you got to let them. You got to let go of your pride enough to be willing to let people in and to walk with you. Will you do it? That'll change how our church looks dramatically if we carry each other's burdens. I would love to see us do more of that. But finally, the one you've all been waiting for me to get to, and we finish with this. Jesus is only Jesus, the great shepherd of the flock, can say, says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to quickly explain what Jesus is truly saying here as we finish. First, all the way back at the beginning, we need to ascribe to God who he is and believe in his character. Remember, that's where we started. Then, when we face anxiety, stress, and troubles of many kinds, we seek the Lord in prayer and we go to his word, standing on the promises of God, okay? Then, as we do, we present our requests to him, trusting that it is him that will provide us peace. I am not telling you anything except what the very word of God promises. Test him. He says, don't test me. But what he does say is, try to see if I won't fulfill my promises. He will always fulfill his promises. He never breaks a promise. And then we're told, bear each other's burdens, walk each other. And then we get to this, the big finish. And we need to understand, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, kind of sounds like he's saying the same thing twice. Well, what does it mean to be weary? And in the old school version, it said heavy burdened, or older school version, heavy laden. So whichever version you learned that, let me tell you what it meant in the basic secular Greek. First, weariness is though you had literally been beaten. 
and the trouble caused by this physical or emotional state of that beating. Some of you come home from work feeling like you have been beaten down. And I am sorry about that. I wish I could change that. Some of you have family situations or relational situations where the weariness makes you feel like you have been punched in the face and the gut and everywhere else. And it's just so much to carry. And what does Jesus say? Come here. Come here. Come to me. And then what about the burdens? Well, this is where the church missed it. Because Jesus is looking at the Pharisees, all you who are heavy burdened, all you who feel like the weight the Pharisees have put on your back of all the ways you have to be morally great to earn God's love, come here. All those that feel you have to do all these things to get accepted by fill in the blank because you're not blank enough, come here. All the moralism and struggles that you faced, what we call it in the church, legalism, come here. Find rest in me. You've become a slave to your burdens. You've become a slave to your weariness. You've become a slave to your work. You've become a slave to your, again, fill in the blank. And Jesus says, come here. Come to me. I got you. But then he compares us to oxen, which I guess is better than sheep because they're big and strong at least. But he says, come to me. We've done that one. And then he says, take your yoke upon me and learn from me. Do you truly want to deal with stress in your life? Well, as David, the psalm writer, found, it comes from submission. Because what you're doing is you're exchanging the burden and the yoke of the world and putting on the yoke and the ownership of God onto your life. And you're saying, I will follow God where you take me. I will be your servant. And that's very countercultural. We are our own man, our own woman. We're going to go where we want to go. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, I will lead you. And if you have ever seen oxen carrying a yoke, they're doing hard work. And so the, the first thing, the people listening to this would have been like, what? I don't want that. But then he goes further. And he says, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest in your, for your souls. How do you do it? By taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. Well, what does Jesus tell us to do? One, he tells us to follow him. Two, he tells us to love God and to love others. Three, he tells us to follow his example. And his example was one of serving others. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Learning from him, considering others greater than ourselves is how Paul interprets it. Four, he says, go make disciples of all nations. And five... He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. When you trust in me, you will have all you need to face anything in this world. But if you trust first in yourself and then cry out to me when it gets too big, I'll still be there. But you have chosen to go through more than necessary. 
it becomes an issue of surrender. If we want to find rest in him, if we want to find peace in our hearts, it starts with saying, for this we have Jesus. Whatever you're facing today, will you go to him? Will you trust the promises of God's word? By the way, this is like the greatest stress-relieving promise book you'll ever find. I gave you, what, 15 verses or so? There's thousands in here that give comfort in times of need. Go search them out. But for right now, for this, you have Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And what does he invite us to do? Come here. Give it to me. Let me carry it. Get it off your shoulders. Pilgrim's progress. Remember when Pilgrim lays it at the cross and he's set free and he's a new man? He's Christian. Will we be known as men and women that walk lightly because our burdens are laid at the feet of the cross? Let's pray. Lord, we trust you. I don't want to negate that life can be difficult at times. But for all these things, we have Jesus who will never leave us nor forsake us. Will never give us more than we can handle and who has already overcome. You are our rock and our fortress, our strong tower, our mighty deliverer, our refuge and our strength. And we trust in you standing upon you today. Lord, the anxiety, forgive us for carrying it ourselves. Please give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to submit to you and give it to you and let you swallow it and you deal with it. And help us to walk in the peace that comes from serving you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen.